Welcome to Spirits podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this week we're talking about rainbows, Amanda. Whoa, those gay icons, Julia, literally. Quite literally. Amanda is, <laughs> I'm going to date myself a little. Yeah. Is the double rainbow too much of a millennial reference now? It is. Uh, Gen Z has no idea what that is, much less that I was at the debut of the double rainbow song at VidCon 2010, the first VidCon in the basement of an Anaheim hotel. Amanda, I was going to ask you if you realized that that was 13 years ago, but clearly you do. So. I do, because my adulthood, my independent adulthood is exactly as old as Double Rainbow because that was uh, weeks after our high school graduation. Absolutely wild. Uh -huh. I feel so old. Yep. So good good for us. We've done this to ourselves now. Yeah, and teens, look up the Double Rainbow song. It's It's very cute. Or the original video that the song is based off of. Iconic. Rainbows are a phenomenon that happens all over the world. If you don't know what a rainbow is, I like I was like, I think I know science wise what a rainbow is exactly. But I was like, I'm going to make sure I actually know what this <laughs> is before we do a full episode. So it's light refracting through water in the air, usually because of rain, mist or even like airborne dew. And Amanda, while rainbows can sometimes be full circles, typically we only see an arc because basically the horizon gets in the way of us seeing the whole circle. Got it. Now, Amanda, if you were at an extremely high altitude, say like on a big mountain or like in an airplane, oh. you might actually be able to see the full circle of a rainbow. That would be pretty awesome. It would be cool. I've seen photos and I'm like, wow, imagine seeing that in real life. It would be amazing. It really would. Also, this is a total aside, but I was doing some additional research on top of what our fantastic researcher Sally did. And did you know that there might be rainbows on Saturn's moon Titan? Oh, on account of there's water there. Yeah. So actually, it's because it's slightly different than Earth rainbows because the light is actually reflecting off of methane particles oh. in the air rather than water particles. Most of them are probably not visible to the naked eye because, like, it's very obscured there in the atmosphere of Titan, but most of them are actually infrared rainbows and would require like either like night vision goggles or infrared vision in order to see them. That is extremely cool. Isn't that cool? You just think of like rain on other planets, like the the like rains of Venus. Is that a thing? Know. Rains of Venus? I think that's a thing. I don't know. You think of like weather on other planets, like we talk about like the the eye of that giant storm yeah, yeah. on Jupiter and stuff like that. But I, I never thought about rainbows on other planets, but it's wild. No, because other planets have versions of atmospheres and so they have versions of weather. And, uh, you know, we're so kind of human centric and talking about the kinds of weather and uh, environments that would support carbon-based life, but uh, that is so cool and sounds like the kind of thing that Dr. McTeer would make an episode of Exolore about. I would say, hey, check out Exolore, check out Pale Blue Pod. You're going to yeah. like those things if you're like, there's rainbows on Titan? Sure is. So obviously, rainbows are not like necessarily rare, but they're also not something that you would necessarily see every day, depending on your climate, of course. So there is this kind of sense of wonder when you see one, like even today, like I know like people will be like be in the car and be like, oh, there's a rainbow as you're driving down the highway and you gasp and then your husband gets mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but as such, 
throughout history, the rainbow has been seen as a, a symbol, usually tied to the divine, rather than it being necessarily this like natural phenomenon that people think about. And that makes total sense. Like we think about the fact that thunder and lightning and earthquakes are all associated with the divine. It's this idea of natural phenomenon that we have no scientific reasoning for at the time. And so we attest it to be the divine. Yeah. And mythology is scientific reasoning. Like mythology is making explanation in the way that humans know best, which is narrative, for stuff that is unusual in the world. And hey, a colorful little slash across the sky doesn't happen often. Uh, that that certainly seems unusual. Absolutely. And in the way that much of mythology differs from culture to culture, sometimes the rainbow is a positive symbol, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's a mix of both. But I want to get started by talking about the figures and the stories that kind of feature rainbows. Let's do it. We would be remiss not to start our conversation by talking about the Australian rainbow snake, which you might remember we did an episode on this subject a while back, but it has been a minute. So I wanted to offer kind of a refresher for people who don't remember or who would like to know a little bit more about that. The rainbow snake or rainbow serpents are a part of the dreaming, which is the religious and cultural worldview of the Aboriginal Australians. Now, this is also somewhat of a simplification now that I've said that, since the beliefs obviously vary based on regional differences, and there are many different groups that are kind of given the shorthand of Australian Aboriginal, much like we unfortunately often use the shorthand for the Indigenous people of the Americas and Native Americans. It's, it's not an all-encompassing thing. The different groups and tribes have different beliefs. Yeah, and no obligation to share those outside of uh, people who they decide should know. So this should be a invitation to uh, to learn and seek more and uh, be grateful for what we're offered. Exactly. So because of that, the rainbow serpent is a figure that is fairly consistently mentioned across many of these groups and is most often related to rain and water, which we will get to a little bit later. But for example, the native people of North Queensland would call their rainbow serpent the Andreginia. And this version of the vividly colored snake is said to end the rain that is sent by the tribe's enemies, nice. which I think is, again, a very positive look at the rainbow serpent. The uh, Uli, who are the people native to what is now New South Wales, see the rainbow serpent as uh, slightly less benevolent. They tell stories of a rainbow serpent who can be found in the deep water holes during drought, waiting to swallow up unsuspecting humans. I really appreciate the geographical necessity of rain, not as something that is very welcome, but is catastrophic when raining upon an environment that is not used to it. Uh, like we, you know, here in New York City have dealt with a lot of flooding and kind of understanding the differences caused by climate change and human intervention uh, and rain having different connotations for us than it used to. And yeah, it's just ah, so specific. Yeah. And thinking of Australia as a geography as well, like knowing that there is the like dry season and also the rainy season and that the rainy season is almost necessary to create these water holes that have to survive then through the drought season. Very cool. 
So shaman and rainmakers, who are basically religious figures in many of these cultures, are said to be safe from being swallowed by the rain serpent's waterhole and are even said in some cultures to ascend to the afterlife on a rainbow serpent known as Ungud. Now, the Wiradjuri tell a story of a shaman who wanted to learn from the rainbow serpent and so followed the rainbow in the sky to the waterhole that the serpent rested in. And so the shaman dove down deep, found within the rainbow serpent Wawi, who then taught the shaman new ceremonial songs that he brought back to his people. Very cool origin story. I love that so much. And I think it's a really interesting one because the rainbow serpent can be benevolent. It can also be a force of destruction. But it also very often in these stories is a giver of knowledge and also is associated with the people. So I think it's really interesting in that regard. And a couple more stories that I'll tell, you'll see the form of that shaping even more. I also want to shout out uh, a novel I read in college uh, called Carpentaria by Alexis Wright, uh, an indigenous Australian author. It has won like every literary prize you possibly can. But if you haven't heard of it by some chance, I uh, highly recommend it. The first edition of the book has like a really pretty photograph of like a winding river with an illustration, a rainbow serpent on top of it. Um, that is very beautiful. So some of the most prominent stories about the Rainbow Serpent, however, come from Arnhem Land, which is an area of the Northern Territory of Australia that has a substantial population of Aboriginal people. An estimated 75% of the population actually is Aboriginal. And that fact allows this area to really continue the traditions of the Aboriginal people from this area, which I think is very important to preserving, one, their culture, and two, allowing us to hear these stories. Right on. So the Kunwinjik people of Arnhem Land call the rainbow serpent Yingara, and Yingara is the original creator and is known as the mother one. And she also gave birth to a son who is also a rainbow serpent, who during the dry season retreats into the deep water holes, a very common through line for a lot of these rainbow serpent stories. And it is said that he will suck up water during the dry season before expelling all of that water as rain during the wet season. Makes sense. It makes sense. It's also said that if you see a rainbow in the sky, that is the sun standing there. Cute. Similarly, there is a story from both Arnhem Land and from the Faranmin people of Papua New Guinea of a rainbow serpent that is known as Magalim. Now, some versions of Magalim, and I think this might be some colonizer mindset, they refer to Magalim as an alien. And I hmm. don't think that is perhaps accurate. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the versions of this story that are told in academic papers are one outdated and two told through a colonizer mindset. So I have to like kind of take a lot of that with a grain of salt because I'm like, I don't know if alien is the proper term for that. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem right in my read of it. Yeah. But in this story, there is a heroine along with her sisters who is pregnant. And so she is traveling across the bush when she gives birth and the blood from the birth flows into a deep water hole where the rainbow serpent lives. Now, the rainbow serpent arises from the depths, bringing with it earthquakes and thunderstorms and chasing after these women like it's got it, the scent of them now. It wants to chase them down. Though they try to escape, the women are eventually swallowed by the serpent along with her children and sisters. And in the Arnhem Land version of this story, the rainbow serpent actually spits them back up after being bitten by an ant. And that is what creates Arnhem Land. 
And so because of this creation, the serpent actually speaks in the voices of those that he had swallowed and teaches ceremonial songs and rituals to the people that live in the land that he created. That's awesome. I I love the rainbow serpent as a carrier of song and tradition. Yeah, of course. And as we discussed back when we featured the rainbow serpent, the rainbow serpent is tied with rain and water, which, of course, makes sense given its connection to rainbows and also the drought and rainy season cycle that is very common in Australia. However, it's also worth noting that the rainbow serpent has been used in modernity as inspiration for various social movements. So the rainbow serpent's various gender representation across Aboriginal culture has led for it to be used in representation for queer communities in Australia. And its ties to weather and drought have also been used as a symbol to fight against climate change and environmental destruction, especially by people who are opposed to the uranium mining in Australia, the argument being not only like, hey, this is terrible for our environment, but also that mining will disturb the rainbow serpent and cause this kind of environmental destruction. That is the sort of like theme of Carpentaria. And it is so, so cool. Like, I'm going to reread the book now. Like, it's so good. I honestly had not heard of it until you mentioned it just now. So I'm very excited to check it out. That sounds really cool. It was a post-colonial Pacific literatures class, and so there was a lot of writing from uh, Australia and New Zealand, and a uh, a professor who uh, was of East Asian Australian descent and kind of talked especially about kind of Asian identities and diaspora um, in New Zealand and Australia. So good. That is so cool. Mandy, you took some wild and interesting classes in college, and I love hearing about them. Like, I never knew you'd taken that class before. Very good. Very good. The other one was the uh, labor literatures um, and like union and uh, labor organizing literatures that I return to all the time. (laughs) It's wild the things that we pull from our college memories and still impact us to this day. And hey, that was like Mm -hmm. a long time ago now that I think about it. 13 years is when it began. 13 years. (laughs) So it's also worth noting that the Rainbow Serpent as a theme, not as like the Australian idea of the rainbow serpent, but it's not exclusive to Australia and the surrounding islands. So the Toba people of Argentina have a rainbow serpent who, when angry with humans, stops the rain and causes drought. Makes sense. In eastern Nigeria, there is the rainbow agurgru, which is a double-headed python. Now, normally it is not big enough to fill the sky in the way that a rainbow does, but when it feeds on a river for many years, it grows to enormous size and stretches across the sky. Wow, that's awesome. It's a beautiful image, right? Yeah, it really is. Uh, It is said that when a rainbow appears and touches the earth, therefore, an important man will soon die where the rainbow has touched down. Oh, shit. Wow. So it's it's an omen and it's like a beautiful image. But however, it is a omen of of death. I was going to say, I I grew up with, you know, Christian imagery about the rainbow related to God. Certainly people talk about the rainbow as a, you know, a bridge to an afterlife um, in in lots of ways that are, you know, quite meaningful. But the rainbow as a symbol of impending death is kind of metal. And I love it. It is pretty, pretty fucking metal. I think it's also really interesting. You you talk about the the Bible one and I was going to include it, but then I decided not to. But the idea that it is this symbol of the covenant that God's like, I'm not going to try to destroy the earth again. My bad. It's very, very funny because it's like a after destruction omen, which Mm -hmm. is very interesting. 
But we are seeing here, like we were saying earlier, the the different contexts of rain. Rain can be destructive. Rain can be welcome. I'm excited to like nuance the representation of the rainbow, which if you asked me at the beginning, you know, I was like, yeah, gay icon and probably, I don't know, heaven, question mark. So like in my particular associations aren't the only ones and aren't the be all and end all. Yes, I think that is a really good point. When you think about it, too, it's usually something that we see after there has been like major destruction or before a storm is coming in or something like that. So to see that it has both this negative and positive connotation is really, really interesting. And I think it also really depends on climate and geography. Like, Mm -hmm. how often are you getting rain? Is rain something that could really devastate your land if it's unexpected and the land is not prepared for it? It's, It's super interesting. Totally. So also close by in the country of Benin, the rainbow serpent is said to encircle the world, biting his own tail in order to bring together the world's disparate parts. And also uh, the mountains are said to be built out of his excrement, which makes a lot of sense to me. If you have a giant snake and it's out there pooping, wouldn't the mountains be it? Sure. I mean, yeah. And then the non-mountains are where the snake moves. Exactly. Exactly. And very close to glacial topography, which I learned and was astonished by in our home of Long Island. Every time we learned about glaciers and glacial movements and how they impacted the land that we lived in, I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. It's like, hey, these five glacial uh, topographical features are um, your park, your beach, your house and your school. (laughs) Like It was was like right here. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. So the final... Rainbow serpent that I wanted to mention is the Anyiwo from the Awe people of Ghana and Togo. Now, he is said to be heralded by his rainbow reflection in the clouds, and anyone who touches him will be swallowed up. He is also said to stretch across the sky when he is thirsty so that he can drink water from the opposite side of the world. However, when he, in the form of a rainbow, touches the earth, he actually leaves behind rare and desirable beads. Ooh, I love that. Which we will talk a little bit about, but hey, seems kind of leprechaun-y in a way as well, you know? The idea that where a rainbow touches down, something desirable can be found there. But I like this even better because you get to wear it. <laughs> That's true. You really, and we'll talk about the leprechauns in a little bit, but you don't really get a lot of the gold from a leprechaun. No. Usually ever, so. No, no, no. Now, that's just the rainbow serpent, Amanda, but the rainbow has so many other representations and meanings that are found all over the world in so many different cultures and mythologies, and we will talk a little bit more about those, but first, why don't we grab a quick refill? Let's do it. Hey, it's Julia, and welcome to The Refill. Of course, we have to start by thanking our patrons. Thank you so much to our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Anne, Ariana, Ginger Spurs Boy, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Nieselkins, Lily, Matthew, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, and Scott, and of course, our legend-level patrons. A.E., Audra, BME Up Scotty, Bex, Chibi Yokai, Morgan H., and Sarah. Thank you so much for supporting us here on Patreon. You are so wonderful, and we really appreciate you. And if you would like to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash spiritspodcast to sign up for a bunch of cool tiers with a bunch of cool rewards, like recipe cards for every single episode, cocktail recipe cards for every single episode, ad-free episodes, direct commentary, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. 
it's also officially December, so that means I can start recommending to you all Christmas stuff that I like. And I'm going to be honest with you, I used to not be into the whole Hallmark romance Christmas thing. And I'm still not. Like, I'm a little bit picky about what I like and what I don't like. But I got to say, a classic that I really enjoy that is on Netflix, so probably available to a lot of you, is A Castle for Christmas. It's got Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes, and it is kind of great. I love the dynamic of grumpy man meets woman that opens him up a little bit more and also just an older couple getting together later in life. I think it's really fun. So check out A Castle for Christmas if you're looking for something lighthearted and adorable. If you're also looking for something lighthearted, might I recommend to you the Multitude Show Pale Blue Pod. Pale Blue Pod is an astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but still want to be its friend. Astrophysicist Dr. Moya McTeer and comedian Corinne Caputo demystify space one topic at a time with open eyes, open arms, and open mouths from, you know, so much laughing and jaw-dropping. By the end of each episode, the cosmos will feel a little less, ah, too scary, and a little bit more, ooh, so cool. You can get new episodes every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, and whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you get to define how you give yourself. I know it can be really stressful trying to pick out the right gift for someone, trying to navigate the kind of nuance of gift giving, and it can be really stressful, especially around the holiday season. But what you can do to make your life a little bit easier and to navigate the stress of the holidays, it is a great time to start going to therapy if you're not already. So whether it is starting therapy or going easier on yourself during the tough moments or treating yourself to a day of complete rest, you need to remember during this season in particular to give yourself some love this holiday season. And I know I struggle with being gentle to myself during this season in particular. It's just so stressful. The end of year can be really stressful in general, just from work stuff and relationship stuff. And talking to a therapist really helps. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spirits. We are also sponsored this week by Creart by Ravensburger. Did you know that Ravensburger produces more than just the classic jigsaw puzzles and board games that we know so well? Introducing Creart by Ravensburger, the ultimate painting by numbers experience. You'll find everything that you need to start your artistic journey today with Ravensburger's carefully curated painting by numbers kits. So whether you're a seasoned artist seeking a new challenge or a beginner eager to explore the world of painting, Ravensburger's kits cater to all skill levels and ages, and that's what makes them such a fantastic gift for the holiday season. You can embrace the therapeutic benefits of painting by number as you melt away the stresses of daily life and find solace in the art of creation without facing the pressure of a blank canvas. Easily explore Ravensburger's wide selection of enchanting designs on Amazon, ranging from majestic landscapes to adorable animals and everything in between. Let your imagination run wild and embrace the joy of painting with Creart by Ravensburger. Shop Creart on Amazon today. 
And finally, we are sponsored by Embrace Pet Insurance. Because let's be real, having a pet is expensive. From pet food to pet sitting when you go on vacation, the cost can really skyrocket quickly, and especially trips to the vet. But one thing that's definitely worth it for your fur baby is pet insurance. Now, my brother-in-law, just adopted a cat, and he has never had to have the responsibility of an animal before. So he's like a little bit stressed out about all of the vet visits and like making sure that she gets all of the vaccines she needs and getting her microchipped. And I told him, hey, make sure you get her Embrace Pet Insurance because you will be thanking me down the line. It is time to upgrade your pet insurance game. Whether you have a dog or a cat, Embrace Pet Insurance offers customized plans for your pet's exact needs. Did you know that vet care prices have increased by 33% from 2022 to 2023? That is wild. With Embrace Pet Insurance, you can visit any vet or emergency clinic. And if you have multiple pets to insure, you are eligible for a 10% multi-pet discount. Plus, they have a 24-hour helpline and optional wellness rewards programs to ensure that you prioritize preventative care for your pet. So you hopefully never even need to use Embrace in the first place. Some listeners may find pet insurance unnecessary or pricey, but I just want to tell you that pet insurance is more affordable compared to those high emergency vet costs, and it can give you peace of mind. So don't wait for the unexpected to happen. Join the massive community of pet owners who trust Embrace Pet Insurance to protect their pet. Head to embracepetinsurance.com spirits and sign up for pet insurance today. Make sure you go to embracepetinsurance.com spirits or else they won't know that I sent you. That's embracepetinsurance.com spirits. And now let's get back to the show. Amanda, we are back. And unsurprisingly, there are a lot of rainbow cocktails out there that require layering, you know, mm-hmm. and I think layering is a really interesting method that a lot of people could learn a lot about in terms of bartending and stuff like that. The rainbow paradise cocktail is probably the most well-known of these rainbow cocktails. It layers pineapple juice, rum, grenadine, and blue carousel. But honestly... That's a really sweet drink. I don't really love (laughs) sweet drinks. That just sounds like a headache the minute I finish it. So instead, I found a cocktail that is called Chase the Rainbow, which features pink grapefruit gin, some orange bitters, fresh grapefruit juice, and Prosecco, which I think is a little bit more of like a tart and balanced option than the overly sweet rainbow that we might have been enjoying today. Totally. Yeah, you can garnish with some other citrus slices, some lemons, some lime. I'd be very into that. Now, Amanda, I have a little game for us. <gasps> yeah. Now, we are going to play a game called It's an Omen. <laughs> oh. So as we've been discussing, there are a lot of ways that one can interpret seeing a rainbow. Some see it as a good thing. Some see it as a bad thing. I want to send you back in time okay. and give you the job of Oracle. Oh, great. Thank you. It's what I've been waiting for. Now, you've seen not just a rainbow, but a variation on a rainbow. And I want you to interpret what sign the gods are trying to send you based on this non-typical rainbow that I'm going to describe to you. Perfection. 
Is this also an excuse to talk about other cool versions of rainbows? Yes, it is. But it's also a fun game we get to play. I'm into it. So uh, I live in a very cozy cave. Uh, the the mouth of the cave I have styled with some, you know, animal skulls I've collected from throughout the forest. Uh, uncomfortable bench seating in the form of some fallen logs. Uh, but then behind, in the back of the cave, I have a very nicely kept and cozy cave. I have some upholstery. I have my books. I have my cauldrons, etc. Um, and that's where I get to hang out uh, when I'm being, you know, my relaxed oracle self. And then I go. Mm-hmm company under the guise of the like crazy cave ladies and people will leave me alone now the vent where you huff the mystical fumes is that in the back part or in the front part uh, it's in the front part um but what they don't know is it just smells nice it just smells nice <laughs> it smells it like smells a nice like sulfur candle. like farts it probably doesn't smell nice at all no no I, you want it to smell like a like tobacco and vanilla candle and i don't blame you for that that's why julia okay so i have i have my incense and potpourri in the back and in the front is the sulfur you know geyser that smells like farts so people don't stay long that's so smart i like that so much Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right let's start with our first rainbow i've got five here so we'll start with of course the double rainbow which if people have not seen a double rainbow this is basically a second rainbow at a greater angle than the primary rainbow so that two rainbows are visible it's a double rainbow. That's it. Double rainbow across the sky. I think this means uh, it's it's got to mean a an upcoming windfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be, you know, if we keep livestock, you know, a calf that births twins. Uh, my friend recently had two double yolk eggs uh, in two successive days and was like, damn, it's going to be very lucky. So I think there's going to be something about a double windfall, some double fortune. Maybe catch two oxen when you're going for one. I don't know. I love that. That's amazing. Good good news for all of ancient Greece. <laughs> exactly. All right. How about the, as I mentioned before, the full circle rainbow, which, as a reminder, can only be seen high up in the air. Julia, this this one means impending death. Oh, no. Because uh, you have seen the full arc and conclusion of a person's life. And maybe if I'm feeling generous, uh, this can mean, you know, the end of a cycle. Maybe it's the end of like the reign of a ruler. Uh, Maybe it's the, you know, the end of a war. But something is concluding. And if we're not sure exactly what, it's going to be a life. Okay, I like it. It's kind of like drawing the death tarot card, which means like... Mm -hmm cataclysmic change but it doesn't necessarily mean death it just means the end of one thing and then the beginning of another yeah the thing that excites me most about this is the end of like a a dynasty or a ruling family uh because i think being the oracle who's like king's gonna die king's gonna go uh would be sick as hell (laughs) i think that is what you were meant to do actually now that i think about it thank you All right, how about our third one, which is a monochrome rainbow. So this is a rainbow at sunrise or sunset where the shorter wavelengths like blue and green scatter and only red can be seen. Oh. So it's just a red bow. Uh, This is plague. Plague. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Plague's a common. Plague's a common. That's it. (laughs) End end of statement. Plague's common. I love it. Great. How about the next one, which is a moon bow, which is a dimmer and rarer type of bow, much rarer than the solar rainbow. But the moon bow uses light from the full moon, and it's usually much paler in comparison to a rainbow. Yeah, yeah. Straight from the source. Straight from the source. This is a reflected, it's pale comparison. I had no idea this was Isn't that amazing? It only happens during like almost full or full moons, too. 
Right, because you got to have enough light. Uh, that's so cool. I think this is going to be the sort of doorway to the afterlife is a little more open than usual. Um, I think that there is some some porousness. And if you want to, you know, seek answers or get a message to the afterlife, the bonds are a little looser than they typically are. The the gates are a little closer. Favalis then. Oh, so great. Okay. And then finally, we have the fog bow. Fog bows are formed in the same way that rainbows are, but with much smaller water droplets, which then diffract light more extensively. So they look almost white with kind of faint reds on the outside and then the blues on the inside. That's really interesting. And do they, this might be a silly question, but are they like up in the sky? Yeah. Because with fog, I, I picture very limited visibility. Uh, I'll send you a photo of what a fog bow oh, looks yeah. like real quick. It's interesting, they are lower lying than, say, a typical rainbow is because, as you pointed out, fog mm -hmm. is usually uh, low lying in comparison. But Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like low lying closer to the horizon. That's very cool. Um, I think this one, this means, this means show some appreciation to your local oracle. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your oracle is helpful. Your oracle is here. Tip your oracle. Tip your oracle. <laughs> tip your servers. Tip your drag performers. Uh, and you're going to have to bring an oracle an offering because I don't do this shit for free. Okay. Amanda, I think we found your calling. <laughs> I think that we might have to quit podcasting and just get you set up in a cave somewhere so that you can be an oracle. Julia, that's being a lifestyle influencer with some kind of vague coaching program where you pay hundreds of dollars per month for some kind of like group DM on Instagram. That life is available to me, but I've, I've chosen to forsake it for the, the harder, nobler work of podcasting. I'll allow it. It's okay. Thanks for the game. <laughs> so let's let's continue on your oracleness aside, and we have to talk about leprechauns if we're going to talk about rainbows. If only to say that we did, you know, mm -hmm. we gotta. <laughs> So in the Western world, that's probably the folklore that people most associate with rainbows. And this is, of course, coming from Irish folklore, though it has definitely spread to the United States as well with the Irish diaspora. The most common version of this folklore says that a leprechaun would sit and repair shoes, which I always forget that they're out there repairing shoes and whatnot, uh, with a little pot of gold or a pile of gold coins beside him at the end of a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Now, if a human is able to capture and keep his eye on the leprechaun at all times, they would be able to take the gold coins. Okay. Of course, it's never as easy as all that, especially because leprechauns are little tricksters, as well as being agile and nimble. And most of these stories end with greedy mortals being fooled by the leprechaun who then escapes with his pot of gold. Now, one of the things I always wondered as a kid hearing this, I was like, where did the leprechauns get the gold in the first place? Did you ever think about that? No, because I guess I sort of assumed that leprechauns just like have a lot of gold and they're just like carelessly leaving it out places. I don't know. I, I sort of assumed that the gold is just like a renewable resource for them. Apparently, the folklore says that they just like find gold coins that are hidden in the ground, either that have like been lost by mortals or like buried to keep their treasure hidden from others or just like, or I don't know, left by Rome. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, you know, panning for gold in the earth itself. I don't know. So they then store the gold that they find and hide it at the end of the rainbow, which I mean, like, 
also, my question is, like, why are they holding on to this gold anyway? Like, it's not like they're going to the market to spend it. It's not like the fair folk have a economy that is built on gold, I don't think. What do you think? Why, why do you think that they're just holding on to this gold? I think they think it's funny to trick the mortals. Like, I think this is the equivalent of, I don't know, like an elaborate summer camp game or uh, LARPing where you get to like sort of see the children run and uh, it's interesting and funny. And then at the end, you yoink it away and then it's hilarious. Amanda, that is the most common interpretation as to why leprechauns have gold. They just like fucking with mortals. (laughs) I think that's like the the default mode of Irish mythology. Like if it's if it's something I haven't heard of before and then I hear it, I'm like, it's probably just someone fucking with you. No. Or like it's like one, just fucking with you or two, try to rise above your station. You shouldn't have done that. Like th- those are those are the two sort of like impulses. I like that. It's like, how dare you try to get rich so easily by tricking a leprechaun? Like, no, 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 that won't work. Shout out to your dad who said that Lucky the Leprechaun from Lucky Charms is uh, anti-Irish propaganda. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Does he mean it? Fully. Rainbows in modernity definitely, as you pointed out earlier, associated with good things. But there are many cultures with gods, goddesses, and heroes that use rainbows as tools of war. War is always bad, but if your god is the one that is helping your side win, you're going to see the rainbow as a positive symbol, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like the this reign of fury is on my side, so that's okay. So, for example, the Sumerian god Ninurta was both the god of farming as well as war. And in his warrior aspect, he'd defend Sumer against its enemies and would go into battle wearing a crown that was described as a rainbow. Nice. And also because he is a farming god, the idea of rain bringing water to crops is also very important. So it's interesting because whether gods often use rainbows as weapons or as symbols of destruction prior to battle. So Indra, the god of thunder and war in Hinduism, is said to have used a bow made of a rainbow in order to help kill a primordial demon serpent known as Vritra, who is the personification of drought. Oh, shit. That's a very cool personification also. I love that. And also because of that, the rainbow is referred to as Indra's bow. Right on. Similarly, Tiramis, who is the Sami god of thunder, uses the rainbow as his bow, firing arrows at evil spirits. And when he draws the bow and fires, it is said to set off earthquakes. I mean, yeah, if that's the bow, the arrow must be massive. And then even Zeus would stretch a rainbow across the sky as a portent for coming war. So as it is said in the Iliad, book 17, as Zeus displays a rainbow shimmering in a darkened sky as a sign of war or a portent to mortals of some coming storm that chills the earth, halts laborers in the fields and troubles the flocks. So Athena wrapped herself in a gleaming mist, entered the Danan ranks and roused the troops. I mean, I'd rather see Athena probably than a rainbow. Yeah, that's fair. Unless she is not on your side, in which case you would not want to see her on the battlefield. Since I mentioned Greek mythology, I want to take a quick side ramp to talk about Iris, who is one of my favorite goddesses that unfortunately doesn't have as much info about her to give her like a full It's All Greek to Me episode. But I love her so much. We can have a little Iris corner. Of course. So she is the goddess of the rainbow and is kind of a counterpart to Hermes as she is one of the messengers of the Olympians. 
She is often said to be one of the handmaidens of Hera, sometimes specifically her personal messenger, though she is portrayed as carrying messages for the other gods as well. You'd loan her out to do uh, something if Hera doesn't need her at the time, you know? Here's a really interesting thing, which I love because it means like, oh, the Greeks are smart, <laughs> you know? So her father was a sea god while her mother was a cloud nymph. So it makes sense that their child would be associated with rainbows because the coast-dwelling Greeks would see rainbows spanning between cloud and sea. That's it. That's the answer. And as such, Amanda, she was believed to replenish the rain clouds with water from the sea, which is honestly pretty close to how the actual water cycle works. You love to see it. So in art, she is portrayed as having golden wings and carrying a water pitcher in her hands to refill those clouds with seawater. Very cool. She's awesome. That's great. And leaves behind delicious sea salt. Thank you. Now, the final recurring theme when it comes to rainbows is, of course, the Rainbow Bridge. We discussed the Norse Rainbow Bridge, the Bifrost, in our It's Norse, of course, series. But this is a theme that runs through several other cultures associating this Rainbow Bridge with the divine. Also, I'm sure a lot of pet parents know that the Rainbow Bridge has been used as a term for when your pet unfortunately passes away and has been used a lot in regards to like talking about death in general. Yeah, and I know there are a lot of um, very moving communities around rainbow babies, around miscarriage and stillbirth. Um, and it, I think, remains a very, you know, uh, important and close to the heart metaphor and meaning for a lot of people. Yes, definitely. Talking about the rainbow bridge as this idea of a divine bridge or a bridge between the mortal and the divine. For example, we discussed in the story of Izanagi and Izanami, who are the Japanese creator gods, they descended on a floating rainbow bridge from heaven to create land from the ocean of chaos that covered the world. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite episodes, Julia, by the way, it's one that really stands out to me. So if you haven't listened to this episode, go ahead in our catalog and check it out. I do really like that one. It's very cool. The Chumash people of what is now central and southern California tell a story about how Sky Snake brought fire to their ancestors on Santa Cruz Island. However, Sky Snake's wife, Hutash, grew annoyed with how loud and fast-growing the population on the island was becoming, and so built a rainbow bridge to the mainland so that the people could spread out and wouldn't just be on this single island. Incredible. However, because it was a rainbow bridge in the sky, some people grew dizzy while crossing it and fell towards the sea. And Hutash felt no real ill will towards these people and obviously didn't want them to drown. They, she just wanted her space, which totally understandable, girl. Like, yeah, yeah. of course. So relatable. Like, uh, honey, I love your family, but they can't stay with us indefinitely. Exactly. So she ended up turning those who fell from the rainbow bridge into dolphins so that they could survive in the sea. Incredible. Isn't that beautiful? Dolphins, very smart. Dolphins got a lot going on. Dolphins are humans who are slightly too silly to make it over the bridge. In general, it is clear that the rainbow has served as a symbol across various world cultures. The idea of tying something supernatural and divine to the world of the physical and mortal. 
And in modernity, this display of color has been used to represent hope, queer pride, joy, celebration. So I'm, I'm really glad that we got a moment to talk about the awe that rainbows have inspired in people since the dawn of time, basically, both in mythology, folklore, and culture. So the next time that you see a rainbow in the sky, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Stay cool.